Hi, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Count to Ten podcast. Here we talk about marginalized people, groups, issues across the world. Today we're talking about something quite close to home. As a bisexual woman myself, biphobia is going to be today's topic. So, oh my goodness, there's so much to say about it. But just for a background for anyone listening who may not be familiar with biphobia, biphobia is an aversion towards bisexuality and bisexual people as individuals. It can take the form of denial that bisexuality is a genuine sexual orientation or of the negative stereotypes about people who are bisexual. So today I have an amazing guest. I'm very, very excited about the wonderful, the talented, Jen Winston and Jen Winston is a writer and creator and a bisexual living in Brooklyn. She started her social platform after the 2016 election as a way to help her stay mad. Since then she's dedicated the space to documenting her experiences of unlearning regarding sexuality, systemic oppression, and self. Jen recently launched the bi-monthly a newsletter and she also has a book coming out titled Greedy Notes from a Bisexual Who Wants Too Much. Welcome Jen. I'm so excited excited to have Yay. you today. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. And that was like such a great definition of biphobia. I was actually just trying to write one recently for the book that you just mentioned. And I had like so much trouble. But that was very like well, well said. Avoids writing a full, you know, 20 page dissertation. Because <laughs> it's so much. That's what I wound up doing. <laughs> I went down the rabbit hole recently of bisexuality, biphobia and like, by myths and it was just so many pages and pages where I actually have to like slam my laptop shut like okay enough enough I'm looking right above me is my bookshelf and I'm looking at this book that I love and reference all the time because it's been so helpful to me in my like by journey um, and it's called by Notes for a Bisexual Revolution by Shiri Eisner. And I plug it all the time because Shiri is a theorist who often talks about how like myth busting can sometimes even be harmful because if we're like, we're not confused, like we're not greedy, we're not yeah. like promiscuous, then it kind of implies that like you can't be those things and be a valid bisexual person. Yeah, And like thinking about it that way, like flipped to my, I was like, whoa. <laughs> that is huge. Like, you know, it's funny. I was actually thinking about that when I was looking at some of the myths too, because I was like, you know, a myth is that bisexual people are confused. I'm like, I mean, <laughs> there was a time period where I was. Yeah. Sexuality in and of itself can be very confusing when you're especially like in adolescence and coming into yourself as like a sexual being. Like in general, sexuality is a very confusing process at least yeah. for me it was well I was just gonna say I would ask who who among us is not confused about <laughs> our sexuality like or like just sexuality itself yes another thing that I learned from this book confusion we're supposed to be like oh being confused is a bad thing but it's like is it or is it maybe something that just makes us like question our choices more we have to check in with ourselves and be like is this the thing that I want like there was some NPR article uh, it was like a bunch of studies were done and people who find themselves generally confused like have higher cognitive rates or something because oh. it means you're like I know it's like Jenna, did you just call me smart in 4k sure like sure <laughs> well that is reassuring because i feel like um, one of the most important questions that people can ask is why because i was joking like brie how does asking why do i like chips and salsa you know help me in any way and i said well it might not just be chips and salsa like it might be a specific ingredient in the chips and salsa that might be something is that's a favorite across many dishes you never thought about and i said 
knowing why can help you invite more of what you want and enjoy in. Ooh, yes. Not necessarily avoid things you don't want, but also just be self-aware of things that you might not necessarily vibe with. Totally. Oh, man. See, we're already jumping right in. I love it. I love it. Yeah, I will. I try to ask that as much as I can. I usually do it in like social justice context. Like, oh, why is this make me uncomfortable? Well, maybe it's because of this. Maybe it's because of this. But I also like the idea of just doing it just about everything. Just like, oh, why do I feel good right now? Like, it's probably because I'm like actually drinking water. Like, you know, and then you can learn and build healthier habits for yourself. You know, even jumping into today's topic too, I am very, very, very like obsessed with coming out stories. I'm obsessed with like first crush stories and all like the coming of age stuff. So could you tell us a little bit more about when you first realized that you were attracted to more than one gender? Hmm. Um, well, I'm really glad that you asked the question that way because mm-hmm. um, that is like what bisexuality means. A lot of people think that it means only being attracted to like men and women. Uh, my mm-hmm. partner is non-binary. So like I'm definitely attracted to more than one of those genders. Mm-hmm. And it's always kind of meant that. And that's just like been a misconception throughout yeah. history. And I think like my first crush, my first like girl crush, which I was never sure is it a girl is it a girl crush or is it like a crush? I was never sure. Yeah. In hindsight, I'm like, oh, it was like a crush. But it took me years to figure that out. Yeah. And it was with like a best friend who I was really, really close with all throughout high school. We were like basically family. Like she lived with my family at one point. Looking back, I can tell these like telltale signs of like when she started dating someone, I like either tried to get like really, really close to them or like hated them. Like I Mm. I felt possessive over her. We were both very like sexually active with boys, but like Mm -hmm. the best part of that was always like coming together and like talking about it and like intimate long drives, you know, where we would like talk about what guys like, but it was always this like weirdly veiled thing. And I think she does not, like openly identify as bi now, but I definitely think that we like were both sharing something, but because we were both attracted to men and like, that's what you're supposed to do. We were like, we're going to do that. And then like, we're going to share intimacy around it, but it's like suppress. It's never going to reach that point really. Yeah. Mm. Oh my goodness. I feel like when you were talking about like the friend thing, I was like, so many people can relate to that. Mine's was very, very stereotypical, like that one time at band camp kind of thing. But But I wanted to know, like, how did this realization make you feel at the time? Because I know you said you had to do a lot of unpacking and, and may not have even realized at the time that this was maybe more of an intimate feeling than intended at the time. Yeah, I mean, it has been such a long journey. Um, Honestly, almost all of my best friends like are gay men. And so you would think that I would be easily like it's so around me like queerness, I should be able to be like, Oh, yeah, me too. And I just like never, I don't know, I just never was I never felt like I like deserved it. Mm. I had a very formative relationship with one of my best friends who is a bisexual man. Mm -hmm. And in hindsight, I was just telling someone this, I realized our relationship was a queer relationship because we were Mm. both bi, but like 
it, it didn't feel that way to me at the time. It felt like a straight relationship, but we were, we both were very aware that we were bi. We talked about it all the time and um, we didn't really talk about it with many other people, but like we both understood each other in that way. And we decided to open our relationship so that we could like experiment with people of other genders. Basically, that was the idea. Mm-hmm. The relationship did not last for a series of reasons, but now we are best friends again which is another trope of queer people. Like (laughs) you're friends with all your exes and like, here I am. Uh, He just like happens to be a guy, but it still was a queer relationship. So I think like finding any little bit of community was really Mm. formative because especially for bi people, I'm sure you've experienced this. uh, It's, it can be really hard to find like spaces to go like you either have to choose and Mm -hmm. it doesn't it sounds like we're being like a bit picky like we need a like our own space I never felt comfortable in lesbian bars like I always felt like I was an imposter and I didn't deserve to be there yeah and in most of my like sexual experiences specifically with women I like always felt I don't deserve to be here I don't know what I'm doing yeah <laughs> whenever I was having threesomes like I was super comfortable because there was a like a guy present and like I knew what to do there all the energies yeah and then also there's like a bisexual stereotype that like five people love threesomes which like I always was like yeah I do but then <laughs> at the same time I never was like oh if I love threesomes that might mean I'm bisexual like it always mm-hmm. felt like a, a thing that like straight women do like for fun they make it like the male gaze kind of thing yeah <laughs> like, ex- totally and I was like I'm like straight with the wild side kind of yeah I'm a party girl like <laughs> yeah exactly exactly so it took me a really long time to like get comfortable with the term and then it also took me a long time mm. to be yeah. like oh, this is worth saying out loud because I thought that like, it wasn't a big deal. I thought that like everyone was kind of, you know. A little on the fence. <laughs> yeah, it was like, what? what's the point in saying like something that's so universal? But after coming out, which I did through a an Instagram post to answer your earlier question, <laughs> um, which was like, it was like the only way I knew how, I guess. I was like, mm-hmm. you know, this is the only way to put it out into the world. Um, and I just felt like I felt so free ever since that happened. It's like a burden lifted. Yeah, exactly. And I, I didn't know that that would be the like takeaway from it because Mm -hmm. I never thought it was that big of a deal. Like I was doing fine dating men. Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, men, like relationships were terrible, but that felt like aside (laughs) from the point. And yeah, I just didn't realize how much it would mean to like say I'm bisexual out loud. And it was like so free. And saying it, uh, it's so funny because I, I identify with this so much. And I feel like listeners out there might identify with this as well, where I've always had this thing about being like boxed in or whatever. Like there were times during Pride Months, like many years ago, where, um, you know, people be like, oh, like, do you identify? And I'm like, I mean yeah but like I don't really have a label or anything that time I had been holding hands with women walking down the street having Mm -hmm. full-blown like dating situations and it was kind of interesting how I was so comfortable in everyday life I guess like going through the motions but saying the actual term out loud like you said is just like this kind of breakthrough metamorphosis moment ironically Mm -hmm. I did the same thing with Instagram and Twitter where I just put like the bi flag up on um, on, like and then like visibility day and things like that really really help 
Then I had this moment with my mom that actually happened literally last week. Ah, congrats. I mean, well, what was the moment, I guess? <laughs> yeah, well, I've been mentioning stories for years. And then I, you know, would casually be like, oh, yeah. And that when I was dating this girl, da, 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 like I would kind of like gloss past yeah. her. And she would never do or say anything. So I, I had to ask my mom. I was like, mom, we talk about these things a lot. Like it comes up in conversation, but we always kind of glaze past it. Like, do you? And I said, I posted the flag on social media. I know you look at my social media. Like, do you know I'm bisexual? <laughs> and my mom was like, yes and i also know that you're black and i know that you're a woman and she said should that change how i treat you or like anything about our relationship and i said Aww. no and she said well okay then red i accept all parts of you i didn't think it was anything to make a big deal about it's just an addition to your identity that you know what i mean and she said yeah and i was like oh, it was so wholesome Aww, that's so nice oh man i definitely uh know that that was kind of like the final piece because there was never that I don't know about you, but like that confirmation there, like that's like, okay, you 100% know that this is this wasn't like a phase. <laughs> you know how people think bisexuality is a phase and things like that. Totally. Yeah. I mean, well, and I guess to the earlier point about confusion, like bi people are not confused about the fact that we're bi, but like yeah. we're confused about like everything else like with <laughs> regards to it and it's also fine to be confused about the fact that you're bi I guess I still like question it like sometimes like the pandemic like crushed my sex drive for like a bit mm -hmm. it's like it's coming back but, uh, but I was like I was like, oh my God, like, is this about my sexuality? Like, is this, what this <laughs> my part, my partner was like thinking the same thing. And then mm -hmm. about me <laughs> and mm -hmm. then, cause my partner is also bisexual and, mm -hmm. um, and we were like, what's going on here? Is this like <laughs> us? And then we were like, oh no, there's like a global pandemic. But, um, <laughs> that, that is such a cute story about your mom. And I know the thing with like having no labels, uh, is such a, like, it's such a thing that, I mean, it's, if, if you are able to like be in your queerness and not use labels, great. But like, I could not do that. I needed the word so badly. The word like helped me grow into myself. And I mean, that's definitely not like universal. Nothing is. But when I see a lot of people who like describe bisexuality and they're like, I don't like labels, it's almost feels like avoidant of that term. And I'm like, well, you know what, if you are happy, it's none of my business. But if you are happy with your no label life, great. Uh, but like some of us need labels. And uh, mm -hmm. my partner and I actually talk about this all the time when we're watching TV and there's like hints of bisexual representation. Yes. I think that it has to be like named in order to mm -hmm. count. Like my partner is like, it's fine. But my partner has also been queer, like out and queer for like 25 years. Yeah. And I am like maybe three years out. Um, and I need to hear people be like, oh yeah, I'm bisexual. Like that means so, it means much, so to me. much And it's funny that you say that because uh, I was watching this piece where they talked about the lack of bisexual representation in film and how if you look at so many movies like for example the, an example they gave was like uh, Moonlight as well as Brokeback Mountain and things they said mm. some of these movies leave so much ambiguity around the sexuality of the main character for example Brokeback Mountain 
has for so many years been labeled like a gay classic or something. Yeah. But, but then they, they broke it apart and said, actually, this person had enjoyable sexual experiences with women during the film and an enjoyable sexual experience with a man during wow. the film. Yet it's labeled a gay film, but it's like he he didn't feel like nothing with women and it was and they totally. had intimate moments and friendship as well as you know what i mean a, a sexual connection and that really like blew the the doors open for me i was like whoa yeah. i never even like even i am guilty of like having labeled that as a, a gay film and i'm like because yeah. again like you said explicitly saying it is so important and and it's like you said it's also fine if it's something that you feel like you need or like identify with not having a label but for me i feel like it can also be internalized by phobia that's kind of instilled in yeah. us from youth and for me like i know that saying the label out loud was just like i felt like like so much lighter just like an air about me changed and as well it, i feel like it gave me permission yeah to read you know the, the certain literature that i was already kind of like dabbling in here and there but now it's like oh i'm claiming this so i can dive into the literature i can join the discussions i can share experiences openly and freely and yeah it's it's so liberating for people like us that actually finally said it it's there's power in the tongue like they they always say as well absolutely yes wow that is so mind-blowing actually about brokeback mountain and moonlight like mm -hmm. i catch myself doing this all the time i recently watched i may destroy you i love that series like when it was over i like cried because i was like i will never make art this good in my life um it was it's so good but uh there's like a whole like plot with one of the characters who identifies as gay like sleeping with a woman and then the woman like finds out and i think that it was self-aware around the fact that it was like wait sexuality is a spectrum you can't be like uh, contained to this one thing. The whole thing was wild. But um, I've recently been watching Hacks on HBO, mm. but they use the word monosexual on the show, which is the first time I've ever seen that. Monosexism is basically the idea that the predominant assumption that, that you should be either completely heterosexual or completely homosexual like one or the other binaries um, yeah <laughs> exactly binaries and i mean this is that book that i mentioned by shiri eisner talks a lot about how like bisexuality at its core is about being anti-binary which is like the opposite of what people think about it but it's really more about like leaning into the like middle and the in-between and like the muddiness and being like I'm good here and like this is fully fully something. I love that. It it reminds me too of this TikTok that went viral like this person was saying when like women say they're bisexual it's uh said that it's for attention and to be cool or whatever and then when men say they're bisexual it's because they're secretly gay and it's like a stepping stone and and they said in both of these instances we're assuming that both parties are only attracted to men mm -hmm. so it's patriarchal mm -hmm. and i was like what the heck i never considered that where it's like oh this woman's actually straight and likes men and is saying she likes women for attention and this man is you know actually gay and only likes men but is saying that he likes women to be more accepted soften the blow uh, you know and that kind of thing and it's like wait a second that's big erasure <laughs> 
It really isn't. It like all comes back to patriarchy. It's like everything. It's like so interesting. And and like also people being afraid of non-monogamy. I'm like currently in a monogamous relationship. I think 80% of bisexual women who are in relationships are in monogamous relationships. So it like doesn't inherently mean like if you're bi, you're like a slut. Though like here's to the sluts. I identify as a slut as well. It doesn't inherently mean that you're like sleeping around or that you're polyamorous. Those are like actually separate things. Like you can be talking about bisexuality and that's your sexuality. And then you can be talking about monogamy or non-monogamy. And that's like a completely separate like plane. And like people so often associate them. I mean... I guess it is like you might want to experiment more, but that's a conversation about non-monogamy. It's not about your sexuality. Like that might be the reason for the conversation and non-monogamy being another thing wound up in patriarchy. Yeah. Like that it all, it all comes back to, of course. A lot of people think (laughs) that, uh, that, you know, people who are in poly relationships or non-monogamous relationships are promiscuous as well. Yeah, exactly. I love that there's been representation. Even I've seen asexual individuals and how all of them had different preferences in their sexualities. One person was bisexual, but also asexual. So it's sometimes Mm. interesting to see like the sexual identity or gender identity in which you wish to be involved in and the quality of sex or the quantity of sex you're having are not always congruent or linked you know intrinsically linked yeah the people that were speaking are like i don't like having sex at all but i do have interest when i'm speaking to people i have like romantic interests emotional interests in so i think that was a, a really great point that kind of blows open the whole stereotype about being bisexual and being this person that is just you know free and and like we said there are a lot of people that are like that but there are a lot of people that are promiscuous that are in across all sexualities and across mm-hmm. all identities yeah. It's not exclusive to us. Um, Yeah, totally. When you came out officially and just like found a a label that felt like it fit for you and everything, did you face opposition, homophobia, and or biphobia once you were fully out? You know, I thought that I was going to. Like, I thought I was going to get like a bunch of commenters who were like, why are you taking up space, etc.? Yeah, I had definitely assumed the worst. And that is not what happened at all when I came out. Like I got so many positive comments, people like, congratulations, amazing, etc. I mean, I have a very like queer affirming internet circle. (laughs) Uh, So like, that's what, that's what happened. But um, yeah, I, I was, I also got a lot of DMs from people who were like, me too. uh, Cause I wrote my coming out post about why it had been hard for me to come out. And part of the reason for that is that I, uh, thought that it was just going to make anyone think of sex. Like I didn't want to come out at the workplace or to my parents. Cause I was like, Oh, this is like going to make people think like about sex, which goes back to what you were saying about the patriarchy and like the difference between by men and by women specifically is like by women from my relationship with uh, my now friend, Ben, I have learned that <laughs> by men have like there's so much that they have to deal with like it is so not accepted like the majority of straight women say that mm-hmm. they won't date bisexual men but over 50% of views of gay porn on Pornhub come from straight women 
Wow. So it's like, what's going on here? Like there's, yeah. this, there's a disconnect between like being able to see bisexuality as in men as attractive. And then like what people are actually interested in and like, it obviously is stigma related. Uh, and with non-binary people, there's like just so much erasure. I should reference that. Like, that's just what happens. Like, uh, also I think in a lot of those instances, like my part, my partner told me the other day, as I said, we're both bisexual, but my partner was like, I'm going to let you be the bisexual one. Cause like I'm dealing with other stuff. <laughs> take the load this week like because they're non-binary and they like they use they them pronouns like yeah and they were like you could be the bi one and I was like okay <laughs> thanks maybe but with with bi women there's like so much fetishization that happens and that is like that's also like way worse for women who are like already sexualized like black women uh latinx women Asian American women or Asian women, like that's exacerbated. And like bisexuality is even more like tied up with those themes. And obviously like there's a lot of nuance in like queerness and how it relates culturally, which also comes in in like the intersectional aspects. Like as you were speaking, I was just like imagining things and like replaying things at, like that were tying into what you were saying. You brought back a memory from high school that like the age old tale of men harassing you and so my friend and I were being harassed by these these guys. And I remember at this time, it was just like, all right. And I, we were like, no, we're girlfriends. Like, we're just just like to pretend to just get them away from us. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. it's so interesting how I was even thinking about even then before I was out and everything. It just blew my mind how there was still no respect of that at all. Yeah. They were like, great, probably. Yeah, they're like, they're like, oh, I'd like to join. Can we make this three? Can we, you know what I mean? That kind of thing. Yeah. And so like, even into adult life, when I was actually dating women, it was just like, wow, the the way that guys would still just kind of like, I know a lot of uh, like same sex couples and um, things like deal with this a lot that are more feminine leaning, I would say. Uh, Mm -hmm. where people kind of just intrude and and just assume either A, that they're friends, even if they're like holding hands or, you know, what it may be or sharing intimate moments or just be like completely disrespect to those boundaries regardless and, you know, come up between two two people and just like start talking to one of them, like, you know? Yeah. In fact, I also read an amazing book. It's like slightly adjacent to this, but Mm -hmm. it's called In the Dream House by Carmen Maria Machado. And it's all about abuse in queer relationships, specifically like women uh, relationships, women with other women. And there's this like amazing section in the middle of the book where she talks about how like historically Mm -hmm. like it was not considered abuse because it was like not like because queer relationships between women were like not seen as valid in any they were like there's no way they could like abuse each other like they can't (laughs) even like be in a relationship yeah it it just is like all so mind-blowing yeah, and then and then like when you're in it, it obviously you're like, well, this, you know, you, all that stuff weighs on you. Mm-hmm. That's a fantastic book. There's a lack of resources too when people don't believe you exist. Yeah, th- which is especially true from an intersectional standpoint. Like mm-hmm. I was writing this book and I was looking for like all these stats, and I like couldn't find any stat. Like there are there are tons mm-hmm. of stats about like women, bisexual women are sexually assaulted at higher rates, like significantly higher rates than 
straight women or lesbian women. And there's like a ton of stats about substance abuse, like by women are like more prone to substance abuse. But there are like so few stats that are like dive into any of this information by race. And there's nothing with the whys either. Like, and which makes people not even believe it because it it sounds like ridiculous, kind of, because people think bisexuality doesn't impact your life. And then it's like, oh, actually, uh, bisexual men make less money than straight men. Or, wow. or gay men. Mm. They make like significantly less. And it's like, wait, how is the sexuality correlated? And there's very few places that will mention that at all. And it's funny because it's like, where's the science? Like, we want, yeah. it's, it's so true because some of those statistics you just named, I've seen them myself. And it's funny because there wasn't any like clarity on, in the in-depth level, you will see with other sexualities and other topics, period, which is so true. Oh my goodness, that is it's, so true. It's so true. And it, it it really shows up though when you're looking for intersectional statistics. Um, I read uh, an essay called On Being Black and Bisexual and the essay was basically about how there's so little data for bi people in general. It's like, it is a, a thing within like, like a very small number of LGBTQ donations to the LGBTQ community go to bisexuality. And then separately, a small part goes to like black queer people. And so when you put those together, yeah. like for black bisexual people, there's like, where's the, <laughs> the funding? Where's the support? Where's the research? Pennies. Exactly. And like, that's a huge problem because it just erases the intersectionality of the bi community, which is already like just barely a community hanging by a thread to begin with, you know? I love that you dived into this because there's so much talk that I've heard about this during the COVID year we had or like last year during the pandemic. I heard a lot of this where, again, being a minority within a minority within a minority and that intersectionality there experiencing racism from a queer person, another queer person, it was just jarring and it was really, really hard to explain. And sometimes, just in my case at least, there's this feeling of since I do have this queer identity, I revoke my white privilege essentially because I have this. And that's why intersectionality and knowing about it is so important because people can do so much more harm then they're realizing if you think that because you have one identity um, that is marginalized, that you suddenly revoke any privileges in any other category. Totally. Um, and they were not receptive to hearing my feedback or from my, my self-advocation because they just couldn't see themselves as as doing any harm, okay. you know? <laughs> right, right. Yeah. And I was just mortified by the whole situation. And I'm so happy you said that because when we look at statistics for certain things, even I'm like a multi, 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 multi minority or what have you because I'm also neurodivergent. So I'm, mm-hmm. you know, black, I'm a woman, I'm neurodivergent. And so like I'm essentially a disability. And I 
am also bisexual. So it's just like the quest for information on that is just a never ending process that I don't think one Google search will ever be able to, you know, fully, fully get out there. No, totally. But that's why I think uh, speaking about this is so important. I do a lot of like work on like unlearning about white supremacy and like how that has impacted my life. A good friend of mine told me that she thinks everyone's job is to radicalize the person next to them. And so I try to like talk to other white people about race a lot and stuff like that. Um, And I tried, like, I know that I knew that this was like a problem within the queer community before I came out. And then when I came out, I was like trying to assess why. And I I'm not sure still, like, I mean, why it's so much worse, but I do think it like, it's part of this, like coming out, like the fact that you have to come out Mm -hmm. later in life and like build up this new identity for yourself. It like, you're, you're still learning, like you're learning about yourself in a very like positive forward way. And then it's just like, I guess, I don't know. I'm I'm trying to figure it out. There's like no excuse, but I'm trying to like be able to get on the level of of that just so that I can like break have be a more effective communicator I guess no I totally understand like what you mean and I think it's also that feeling of coming out like we talked about it's like this breaking free and it's kind of this knowing like oh I'm already in this category that that side society sees as nuanced or different so yeah I'm untouchable like not untouchable in that way but like coming out really does give you that boost of like I don't give a fuck what anyone says to me totally and but it's like you do have to like (laughs) a little bit a little bit yeah it's like you're still white like (laughs) or, or in my case yeah like you're still white (laughs) it's its own world right like like i used to do ballroom fun fact for Ah, anyone listening so (laughs) yes so it's its own world that like it's almost like the way i describe it's kind of like uh narnia the lion the witch in the wardrobe Mm -hmm. from the outside looking in it's like oh it's just this you know old wardrobe that has been stained but literally (laughs) when you go inside it's like oh it's a whole like world in here so i think sometimes Oh, this might be controversial, but I feel like sometimes people come out of the closet and go into another closet. If that makes sense, Ooh, like, oh yeah, it does. And it and and it's literally it, since it is its own world and it is very captivating and you can get very sucked into like the culture, the issues, the topics. I think it's also important not to be so captivated that you forget to look at the nuances and the marginalization even within that world. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yes. I mean, this is another thing that I noticed, like the first essay in my book is about how there's like no bi community to like go to or turn to. I became really interested in like what like constitutes community for queer people. And like oftentimes it is having a place to gather. This kind of came from thinking about the meme of bi culture and like if you say it is by culture, it is by culture. And the reason for that is like, cause there's nothing else for us to like cling to. There's nothing else leaning on it. Yeah. <laughs> but I realized that there are a bunch of like queer dance parties out here. Like uh, one is called like bubble tea. And that's like uh, primarily like an Asian queer space. Mm-hmm. And then um, there's one that's called poppy juice, which is like a Latinx mm-hmm. uh, black queer mm-hmm oriented space and none of those are like gay or straight like those are Mm -hmm. queer and fluid uh Mm. and I realized like oh the only like harmful spaces that are like very like 
straight, queer, or, or straight or gay. Like mm-hmm. those are the only harmful spaces like that that I have been going to, or like the, the harmful gay bars that I'm, or lesbian bars that I've been going to mm-hmm. are like primarily white. Like they have a primarily Ooh, white past. And so I was like, oh, you know, that's another reminder that like all of these systems are connected because mm-hmm. Ooh, all, like yes. the ones that are like the fluid dance parties are like happening with like POC led organizations. Like, of course, like, of course, that's where biphobia is being dismantled. Like it's not coming from the like lesbian bar that's like entirely white yeah um that I thought I would like find my like I thought I'd be able to like find my truth in you know for our listeners who have never been to a lesbian bar can you share some experience about like your first time going to a a lesbian bar dun 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 (laughs) um sure um well I was expecting like a like magical like paradise with like I don't know like inflatable furniture and like I don't, I'm that's just I'm just saying that because I like want inflatable furniture right now but just I was I was expecting something completely different but it was literally just like like a straight bar but with with like queer people but I was even at the time I like I think the first time I like really went to a lesbian bar was like in like 2018 or 2017 or something like not that long ago um but I was like whoa this is like really white and these were like the bars I had heard about and I was I was shocked and everyone kind of looked the same and yet I still felt like I still felt like I didn't belong there I felt like I was like an imposter there I felt uh femme invisibility is another big thing uh among lesbians but also among queer uh, or bi people or bi women um where if you like present as femme you like are deemed as like less queer or people don't know that you're queer and I like really felt that I think a lot about going to lesbian bars in the beginning because I was like oh like I thought that would be like the answer and then it took me a long time to realize like oh queerness it's like about being able to like choose your family and your people and like and your life and it's also about like showing up for each other and it's like not really about like me feeling comfortable at a lesbian bar like long term (laughs) that will be a trickle down effect but like really felt like it it took me a while to learn that that like finding whatever that like queer utopia is which is another term that coined by someone smarter than me um (laughs) finding that is about so much like looking so much more than like at yourself it's about like looking at what your queerness can do for the world basically that's like such a good point because with the reference about stepping out of one closet and into another one is like think about all the reasons why people stay in the closet or what have you is just like oh, I am worried about judgment, people looking too deeply into like my sex life or my sexuality when I want them to just see me as a person. And then you go and you step out and then it's like, oh, now I'm worried about judgment from the queer community or like them seeing me as my sex life or sexuality rather than, you know, seeing me as a person. And like, am I dressed the right way to be in these scenes? And it's like, no, this is an identity. It's it's part of who you are. So that means you can show up however you identify. Yeah. I remember seeing there's a YouTuber by the name of Dama Wilson who came out, she was identifying as a lesbian and then she came out as bisexual and um, said that in a lot of her intimate relationships, she felt pressured to present as mask, you know, for her partners mm. and how 
she was like, no, inside I, I'm still both. And I am in a place in my life where I want to wear dresses and I want to do certain things and I want to date both genders. And there was so much like outrage and from from all all sides. And I think that was really interesting to see how like even the queer community was sending like biphobia her way like yeah oh huh. so you've just been in a phase this whole time or oh, we were a, a fake stud and all these things that just were just so shocking to me and I'm like oh god how is this not understandable she just said like my first sexual experience dating and everything was with a woman so like it's always been women and now I'm starting to realize like, oh, I do have these feelings for men. I just never explored them. So I'd like to explore them and explore different styles of clothing. And people suddenly took this as like a jab at the at the lesbian community. And it's like, uh, yeah, how are we so sexually fluid yet? This is like shocking for someone. Yeah. Also, when like Elliot Page came out mm. as like a trans man, there was a lot of backlash from like some transphobic corners of the lesbian community that were like we lost another one like people said that stuff oh my gosh if you go to the root of that problem the system has failed like lesbians for a very long time that is the root like of what needs to be fixed because only until like that liberation is also cared for i guess will those people be able to see that like oh no this is like a huge gain for the queer community and for this person's life yeah, and needs to be celebrated. Also, I think something I noticed on on primarily on TikTok during the pandemic era is that a lot of bi people will come out as bi and then they'll be like, "Wait, what's my gender?" And I think that those things are so intimately related for any sexuality, but for bisexuality specifically, it's such a natural follow through. Oh, I want to start dressing like this. In order to explore that, you have to have this grasping of fluidity in a way that like you can apply to both if it serves you. My partner actually said another, my partner's way funnier than me. That's why I keep quoting them. But they said that for them now, like having sex with men or like hooking up with men would be feel very taboo. And like in a way, like in a way that like is nice, like in a way that that maybe dating women used to feel for them at one point. Oh, that's refreshing. <laughs> yeah, I know. I thought I thought that was really interesting, right? Like, uh, for me, like, that's, like, I am so sick of men. <laughs> like, I was trying to stop dating men for so long. I'd be like, okay, you're not going to date men anymore. And then I would just do it. And it was like, uh, but I know that people, like, I mean, you get wrapped up in kind of whatever situation you have and, and, that reinforces your identity and like at a certain point you know that you're not like being true to your to yourself and that there's more yeah and i and it's so interesting too where like that constant self-reassessment that happens of of sexuality because society has taught you so long that you are just like towing the line they make bisexuality sound like purgatory it, like it has to be 50 50 so when people see like oh She's had two partners that are women now. You see, she is a lesbian. I knew it. And then, you know, you pop out with like a man and then it's like, aha, she's straight all along. Like I've seen yeah. this with Kehlani, <laughs> like the Kehlani Chronicles yeah. was real. Of course, Kehlani just came out as lesbian now. But at the time when Kehlani was identifying as bisexual, we did see that all the time. Yeah. With partner switching and just like new relationships, everybody kept trying to just shove her into this binary and I think that it's beautiful now that she, she, you know, 
has an identity that she aligns with but for a long long time that was the identity she aligned with you know it's so important to realize that it doesn't have to be equal it could be 70 30 it could be yeah and there are more than one type of attraction i think that's another thing that a lot of people forget about i know some people that say they're more emotionally attracted to women but more physically Mm -hmm. attracted to men or what what have you and so when they look for a partner it's more so looking for all right if I'm going to date a man, I need like the physical component, but I also want a man that's maybe a little bit more feminine leaning in the in mm-hmm. in their mannerisms or even finding again a bi partner that that gets it. That was like really I mean, now I realize that like my my sexual orientation is actually just like other bi people. It's <laughs> like I'm like, oh, they're like the only people who like understand. And I think it's like great. It, it makes the whole world like a, a very interesting place when like you're attracted to pretty much everybody. Um, yeah. But yeah, yeah, you're, you're so right. Um, I actually didn't know that Kalani came out as, as a lesbian. Um, but also like, even if that at some point she's like, nope, not anymore. Like that's also fine. It's like, all fine. We need to normalize that. It's funny. Cause like if you take a personality test, like even your love languages test, changes over time like astrology we had a celebrity astrologer on for one of our episodes and your chart changes throughout years of your life which is why some things might not feel the same about you I didn't know yeah right that was really fascinating info like so certain aspects of your chart do change and evolve every like five years ten years two years it depends and so why can't sexuality be as ever changing as like just the the components that make you yeah. you like and if it if it stays consistent if your sexuality is consistent from the beginning to the end of your life then like I mean cool congrats yeah, I mean you. you know cool yeah. for you but but there's nothing wrong with with evolution as a person yeah. and and there's no hierarchy I think people make it seem like when someone was a lesbian and they be, and they came out as bisexual it's like downgrading they made it sound like she was downgrading her coming out like oh you're retreating and I think that's like super unfair I was going to ask you too, just on that note, like how has your mindset about sexuality just evolved over time? And is there anything you've had to unlearn? I know we touched on it briefly, but I was really curious. I mean, yeah, like there's been so much I had to unlearn. Like I just, when I remember, when I think back to like posting that first post when I was like going to come out, I was like, I had thought about posting it so many times. And then finally I'd like, like my friend is a photographer. I like made him take good headshots of me. (laughs) And I was like, you know what? I need a caption and I want to come out. (laughs) So I'm going to come out. And I like remember sitting there being like, should I hit post? Should I hit post? Should I hit post? And then I just hit it. And then I was like, okay. And I think since that has happened, I have like the most of the unlearning has happened after that. Cause I've had to be like, you're out now. Like it, for me, it really served as like an accountability thing. Like it was like, here you are, you are allowed to like exist in this like fluid, fluid area. Like you are allowed to be here. You are allowed to date men. Like you, even though I still had a hard time being like, it's okay that you're continuing to date men. Like for me, something that I've learned is not an, like I've learned is not an experience like unique to me. And I was like, so relieved is that like hookups with women, I mentioned this, were like 
so uncomfortable for me. Like I just always felt, and I was like, wait, I want to be here. Like, I really want to be here. I worked so hard to get to this point. And now I like, don't know what I'm doing. And I'm so in my head and this just like, you feel re-virginized in a way. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I think a lot of queer people have that idea. But yeah, I was like, wait, I was such a slut all of high school. And I know, like, I feel very sexually confident with men. And now I just don't know anything. And so it was like, that sexual confidence was like taken from me. And there's so many like rules and like unspoken things in the community that I had to like learn about. Like even just knowing, learning about a touch me not, didn't know about Wait, that when I, I was. I don't even know that. What is that? Yeah, so like touch me not span across all different types of people, but yeah, you find it more in like the I guess like stud community or what have you, where like it's a person that wants to give but doesn't want to receive. Gotcha. And and that didn't like I'm a very affectionate person, so that didn't really like align per se with me. Like like they were fine with like you know kissing and things like that but during actual sexual activities they didn't want to like receive anything wow. and they just wanted to like be the giver which I mean was great but like at the same time I just didn't know and I, and then I had that one moment like the baby bye moment where it's just like what does that mean sorry like I, didn't, I don't want to like make you uncomfortable <laughs> I feel like I got so used to not feeling safe in sexual situations with men I was like this is normal whatever like this is how it goes but like and then I was like an adult doing like new stuff and you have to feel like so safe to ask someone like, especially when you have all this imposter syndrome in your head and it's like, what is a touch me not? But you really have to feel like comfortable. And, and also I think there's a lot with like queer sex, like it kind of requires you, I mean, specifically queer sex among like people with vaginas, like it requires you to like rewrite a narrative a bit. Like, there's not a certain, like, okay, we do the foreplay, and then we flip over, and then we do this, and then... Not a blueprint. Yeah, exactly. There's <laughs> not a... And, and I didn't know that. Like, all I knew was really from the L word, which is, like, a very problematic guidebook to, like, be training myself from. But it was, like, I, I like, binged it, and I was, like, all right, I passed my graduating 101 education. Like, I am officially... <laughs> like, qualifier yeah, course. Like, that was what I had. What I'm so grateful for is also when you have you know some of your first experiences like with same sex or even a non-binary partner that everyone's so different right and everybody's sexual preferences are very different um not just in the way they want to be touched but if they want to be touched mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so even now like i'm currently dating a man and i've brought so much of the knowledge that i've had from relationships with women into this relationship where where we've been breaking like cycles of toxic masculinity and he's so grateful yeah. for that because i was like hey you know you don't have to do things like the way a book said to do them or whatever like let's let's be free-spirited let's have fun let's you know venture out you're your own person let's figure out what what you enjoy and i think a lot of cis het men don't really have that opportunity a lot of times especially like black men are, are sexualized from a young age you know it doesn't always have to be like you can be submissive in, in a sexual experience like you can have different experiences and try things you will like there's this need to guard masculinity right and it's like I think that's the beauty in bisexuality is I've been able to cultivate experiences from both genders that I've dated and yeah and, and utilize them to make every relationship better that's that's a great point like 
yeah, they, there was some New York times article that was like, why queer relation, like what straight people can learn from queer relationships or something. And I mean, a lot of it had to do with like the gender roles and like scripting it yourself. Um, and something I have learned is that like when, when I am truly comfortable in a relationship and not like held down by like patriarchal expectations, like I am the lazy, like the lazy cis man stereotype. And like, that's something I need to fix. Like, that's not okay for, for anyone to be, to be perpetuating in the relationship. But like my partner is like much better at like stereotypically femme things. And I'm like trying to learn because like the burden shouldn't all fall on them. And I think it's been really interesting, like to realize that like, oh, this is like who I, who I am. Like I was never like this in relationships with men because I, couldn't be like it just like I still was like oh let me cook even though I like hate cooking like I hate it so much but I was like always trying to make it part of my personality and it's funny because people sometimes think when you're in certain relationships that gender roles and and patriarchy doesn't creep in and I'm like it's literally like hiding in the corner of every aspect of life yeah every room every room in every closet every room yeah as we begin to wrap today I wanted to ask what are some things that you think people can say or do to stop the spread of biphobia and the erasure of bisexual people oh that's a great question something I have had to do is like like when I was watching I May Destroy You or like when I'm watching TV and a character like has a queer relationship all of a sudden or like has a straight relationship all of a sudden or vice versa. I'm always like, I used to be like, oh, they're gay. Like I used to say that out loud. I'd be like, oh, then there was like gay stuff. Or like I used to like say that and I would get, I would get like very excited. But now I try to be like, no, that's biphobic, Jen. Like you don't know what, unless they say like, you don't know. They haven't disclosed. Exactly. And I'm also trying to do that with gender. I I'm trying to like assume people's like pronouns less just based on how they present. And just, I kind of like say they for everybody now it's like useful. I think a big one is like when you see someone being like, oh, they're gay now or like saying, something like that, that could be considered like a bisexual microaggression to speak out about it and be like, you don't know, like, that's all you have to say. And it just kind of debunks the like truth over there. And like, yeah, that that would be my advice. Ooh, I, I love that it's because it's uh, that's very applicable to what people can do in their daily lives. Because sometimes, you know, when we try to combat systemic things, it, it always seems like it has to be this huge, massive, grand thing. And sometimes it's really simple things. So I think literally asking yourself, like, is this biphobic? Am I making assumptions? And and just challenge yourself like for that month to see how many times you can point out that you, you yeah. might have done something or said something or even viewed it. Let's say you're watching a TV or a film and you hear like a joke or something like, y'all, I went back and like rewatched, what is it, uh, Sex in the City oh, during the pandemic. And some of those did not age well. Like some, oh my God. No, it's so problematic. Like the, so uh, even when Samantha went into like a same sex relationship briefly and everything. And I was just like, oh my gosh, this did not age well. But asking why this didn't age well and like, what was the cultural norm at the time and things have helped open my mind. Um, and also you recommended some really, really great like uh, shows and books. I wrote some of them down here and we can also leave them in the show notes for anyone listening so that you can have some resources and things to read. I love finding more things Yay. to read and ways to educate. 
Yeah, I, I have one more thing that I think that you could do to combat biphobia. And that is, if you think you are bi, if you like are pretty sure you're bi, and it's safe for you to come out, coming out is a great way to combat biphobia. It seems like a small action, but like every person who openly identifies as bi, like it makes a huge difference. Period. Visibility is so important because I remember like growing up, I think the only person as a kid was probably like Tila Tequila back in the reality TV show days. And then it's like, come on. I was like, that's it. That's all I have. And she, I know, I know. And yeah. It's dark, the like lack of representation back. Yeah. And then also like, I feel like my representation was never a hundred percent like by outside of maybe the TV people. Like in real life, it'd just be like, oh, I'd see like a mask presenting lesbian woman and be like, something about that makes my heart feel warm, but I don't know why. And then, you know what I mean? But it's like, it's like, I don't, I don't necessarily feel like I'm her. But something yeah. about her feels like me, and I don't know what it is. <laughs> that that can also be so complicated, though, because for a long time, I thought that because I was more attracted to, like, mask-presenting people, I was like, oh, I'm just straight. <laughs> because, because I, like, bundled it all together. And it was like, that's not true. It's about the hardware, not the paint coat on the car. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow, yes. <laughs> yes. That's how I see it. But also... Uh, I wanted to give you like the floor as well to tell the listeners a little bit more about your book. Well, that's very sweet of you. Um, yeah, so my book is called Greedy, Notes from a Bisexual Who Wants Too Much. It's also available at like Amazon or Barnes and Noble or like bookshop, anywhere books are sold. And you can follow me on social media at generous with a J. Love that. Thank you so much for coming on. This was such a great, great, great topic. And like, I could go on about this for hours. We may need to do a part two because there's like so much. I agreed. Yeah. Literally. And so we have a tradition here at the Count to 10 podcast. Our listeners may know if it's your first time listening, buckle up. So at the end of every episode, um, because we do talk about some heavy topics, we talk about some light topics, everything in excess. We want to just stabilize a bit and, and get back into our days. So we like to do 10 seconds of just uninterrupted silence. So Jen, are you down for that? I definitely am. Love All it. right, perfect. So as I always uh, put this uh, disclaimer here, if you're in your car, please do not close your eyes. You know, we need your eyes on the road. But if you're in a safe, comfortable space like your house, you know, get comfortable, get into your seat, you know, wherever you are. And we're just going to take a moment to relax. Take a deep breath and we're going to breathe in and out. In. And out. One more. In. And out. Thank you, everybody, so much for listening today. And I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. As we say, fuck it up today. Get some work done. Be the best version of yourself. And we will see you next time on the Council 10 Podcast. Bye, everybody.